Hi, this is County Executive Barry Glassman, and you're listening to Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here. Michael Sanderson, co-host, is out today, but we are really happy. I am very happy to be joined by Natasha Mayhew, a veteran of this podcast. Natasha, thank you so much for joining today. No problem. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about MAKO's 2020 legislative initiatives. We'll get into vaping, which is a hot issue at the federal, state, and local level. And then we'll give you an update on opioid lawsuits. There's some new news there. So, Natasha, let's first talk about MAKO's 2020 legislative initiatives. Just this week, our legislative committee came up with the four initiatives that MAKO is going to focus its efforts on during the next session. Yes, I think it's the news everybody's been waiting for. Yes. And so the news is MAKO is going to prioritize education funding school construction, health crises, and implied preemption in the 2020 session. And Natasha, a question that we get all the time is how does MAKO come up with these four initiatives? And can you talk about that a little bit, how these all come about? Sure. So actually, our process starts shortly after we finish session. It really does. (laughs) And so um, in the late spring and early summer, we solicit proposals from our members of topics that are either lingering from the past session, things that have come up that they want to see addressed. Uh, We typically get about 30, 40 submissions each year. And then we have a subcommittee that reviews those submissions. So it's a process over the interim. Right. We will then meet three or four times over the interim, and that subcommittee will then whittle it down to no more than four. Then our bylaws limit us to four. So as I said, we typically get 30 to 40 submissions. So there's tons of issues that are really important to us, and we continue to work on issues and weigh in on bills that don't make it to the four priorities, but it really helps us focus in on what are the hottest the top most important issues that counties want to see us proactively address in the General Assembly session. So it's certainly a member-driven process, and I think it's important what you just mentioned too. MAKO is going to analyze hundreds and hundreds of bills. We're going to take positions on a lot of bills. So these four initiatives are really just our core focus. We're still going to weigh in on a lot of other legislation that affects county governments, but these are really the the priorities. And so, Natasha, let's talk first about school funding. And the idea here is that we're looking for funding fairness and a county role. And those who listen to this podcast know that we talk about the Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education all the time, the Kerwin Commission. That Funding formula work group of the Kerwin Commission continues to meet and they will make recommendations to the full commission this fall. Natasha, what are we looking for here when we develop this initiative? What is MAKO going to focus on for this first initiative? Yeah, so I think, you know, as you mentioned, Kerwin comes up every week and it's really been the one issue where as we're visiting counties, as we're talking to county officials, has been the top priority on people's minds. Mm -hmm. And so really what we're looking for here is to ensure that the state 
works with the county as a true partner um, in fairly supporting the new goals and funding formulas that may come out of this commission as we're still waiting to see how all of that will shape out. But it is really important to the county as, as we look forward to know and prepare for the resources that will be going towards education funding. Right. And we know this is going to be expensive and we know that typically the state and the county split the cost of education. And I think what MAKO is looking for here is an adequate, fair, and reasonable funding formula for all of Maryland students. We want state policymakers to sustain a robust level of public education funding and do that without burdening county budgets or making us cut other essential services. That's very important. So we all want this to work. It just needs to work in a way that works for everyone, right? And that's, that's the goal here. Right, exactly. Okay, the second initiative that we're going to be focused on is strong progress for school construction. Let's get into that a little bit, Natasha. There was a big bill last year. That bill did not pass, but we do expect another big school construction bill in the 2020 session. So what are we looking for with this initiative? Right. And again, this is this is a longstanding issue for county governments and a very important one as well. We have again, been looking for the state and the counties to work together to retain strong state commitment to funding school construction priorities. Mm-hmm. Really, with a lot of changes in how schools are constructed, we advocate for reviewing and updating school construction funding formulas and guidelines with the goal of promoting the smartest and most effective use of either those funding formulas or the processes that go into school construction. Right. And I know, you know, last year's or this year's bill, I should say, the 2019 session increased funding for school construction, but also it touched on eligible costs. And that's a big deal for counties when you're applying to the state for funding. We think that more costs should be eligible for state funding. Building methods have changed. As you've said, there are other factors that we really need to address. So really updating the eligible costs, I think, is on a lot of folks' mind when it comes to this initiative. Right. Okay. so the bottom line here is that we urge the state policymakers to retain, again, the state's strong commitment to this top funding priority. And we want to make sure that it's fair and equitable and that we sort of take a closer look at what's eligible for school funding, state funding when it comes to school construction. And Natasha, I know this next initiative you've worked a lot on. We're going to talk about the next steps in the drug and mental health crises. What are we looking for here? This is sort of an an omnibus initiative, correct? Right, right. When it comes to substance use disorders and mental illnesses, these are really pressing issues for county governments. Our local health departments are the front line for public health issues. Um, Our jails end up seeing a lot of individuals that are suffering from addiction and mental illness issues coming through their doors. Right. When you're serving your community members, being touched and dealing with the crisis that are, is facing um, the state and also nationally when it comes to opioids. Right. And so we know, Natasha, health departments had their core funding cut back during the recession and it's never been restored. So is that part of the ask here? Is this addressing all of these issues with our jails, with our local health departments? I mean, this is really asking the state to do more and to help out at the local level because we are all dealing with these these issues in our jails with our health departments across the board. 
Right. And even with this initiative, in addition to the state, we're also looking to partner with other advocacy organizations. Here, we're really searching for the ways in which we can maintain progress that has been made on addressing these issues. In recent years, we've actually had initiatives focused on the drug crisis, on behavioral health issues, and we've seen some progress, but Mm -hmm. we can't rest on our laurels. And so we we really want that unwavering vigilance. Um, We want to address gaps in services, um, areas that need still need to be met and to really maintain that progress that's there. Right. So maintain what we're doing, the progress that we've made, but also we know we can do better. We're going to do better. And this initiative is all about that. Right. And we're looking to partner and work in any way we can that would help our health departments, our jails and community resources to address these problems. Okay, And the fourth legislative initiative, Natasha, is to repeal the implied preemption court doctrine. This can get a little wonky, but I think we can explain it in a way that makes sense to to most everybody. Preemption in general is a big issue for right, county right. governments, and I feel like I'm kind of redundant here saying that. <laughs> but it's true. That's why these are our initiatives, right? <laughs> right, exactly. The idea here, you see many bills come in and they'll say county governments are preempted for acting on this. The state is uh, in charge of managing the programs or resources are setting the standards. So it's clear. Exactly. However, there are cases in which the state legislature hasn't come in and said that um, they are occupying this space. Right. So what happens in those cases is issues get raised and then they're brought to the court saying, well, the state has occupied the field. Right. We think that the state has occupied the field, even though there wasn't a bill passed, even though it's not in law, we interpret that the state probably occupies this field. So therefore you're preempted. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This creates a lot of uncertainties on a lot of levels because You know, you're looking at statutes and the statutes say one thing and case law saying something different. And the local governments are trying to work on a number of issues. And whether that's tobacco regulation or solar siting or pesticides, it creates all sorts of uncertainty. And so what we're seeking here is to really clarify that preemption should not take place in the courts, that it should be an open and accessible lawmaking process where everyone can weigh in on the merits of the decision um, and know where authority stands on an issue. Right. So essentially, it's if you want to preempt local governments, that's fine, but do it in an open forum put a bill in and let everybody come to the table and express their viewpoints. Don't legislate through the courts. Correct. Okay, that makes sense. And we should clarify, too, that this is perspective. We're not trying to make this retroactive, right? Because that's a big deal. Right, exactly. Okay, so those are MAKO's four legislative initiatives for the 2020 session. We will talk about them more in the weeks ahead, I am sure. When we come back, we'll talk about vaping, e-cigarettes, major, major issue at all levels. We'll also give you an update on the state and local opioid lawsuits, all that and more after the break. The Local Government Insurance Trust is the primary source for Maryland local governments to get insurance coverage. When the private insurance market doesn't understand your needs and doesn't really want to be in the business of covering your law enforcement officers and other public employees, Legit will be there. That is exactly why Legit was created over 30 years ago. Legit is different. Legit is owned and managed by its local government members. That means that when we do well, you do well. Members get premium credits when the trust has a good year. 
and legit offers training and best practices to make sure our members are doing their best with risk management. Competitive prices, outstanding service, and coverage that fits your needs as a local government. You can't beat legit for all your coverage needs. Find out more at lgit.org or drop by their exhibit space at the MML or MAKO conference. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canelli back here with Natasha Mayhew. Natasha, let's talk about an issue that is in the news, it feels like every single day recently, and that is vaping and e-cigarette use. We have seen multiple deaths and illnesses related to vaping ostensibly across the country, and now we are seeing action at the federal, state, and local level. Let's talk about what's going on and why this has become such a big issue recently. Yeah, this has been a a really hot topic. Um, And as you mentioned, we've been seeing deaths related to vaping. Over 450 cases of people coming down with illnesses. And that number seems to rise every day, right? I mean, they keep linking more and more to to vaping as being the cause for these sicknesses. Right. Um, Except there's so much that is still really unknown. Right. And so they're linking vaping to breathing illnesses and other lung-related issues that are arising, but it's still not completely clear what is actually causing these illnesses. You mentioned there's a lot going on on multiple levels. I know the FDA and the CDC are, are looking into what is causing all these illnesses. Right. But one thing they're finding is that youth vaping is growing exponentially. Right. And many of the people that are falling um, ill are underage to be vaping in the first place. (laughs) Right. And I mean, I know that the American Lung Association estimated that at least 5,700 kids start to vape every single day. So obviously that is, is certainly alarming, especially for products that are marketed as a way to help folks quit smoking. And I think that is what a lot of this outrage is about. You know, you have kids that are starting to use, you know, these vapes, which have nicotine, which is highly Mm -hmm. addictive. And then they're getting addicted to nicotine when really this should be marketed toward helping folks who who smoke traditional cigarettes quit those but still get their nicotine fixed, so to say. Right. And one consistent thing they point to there is that there's a lot of flavored mm-hmm. um, e-cigarettes. So whether it's bubblegum or strawberry or, you know, I'm sure all any, kinds, any number of flavors targeted to kids. And I think we've all heard of like Jewel and other things, uh, children's secretly um, vaping in the bathrooms or right, maybe right. even in classrooms. It's just turning into a huge public health issue. So you mentioned the CDC and the FDA have said they are going to come out with some sort of proposals to ban the sale of those flavored e-cigarettes. And at the state level, we saw Michigan ban the sale of flavored e-cigarettes last week. And then this week, New York health officials voted to carry out Governor Andrew Cuomo's executive action to ban the sales of most flavored e-cigarettes. That ban would be in effect for 90 days as a piece of emergency legislation. It would need to be renewed to continue. But the hope from Governor Cuomo, I think, is that the the New York State Assembly will take action once they return in January. So we've seen it at the federal and the state level. And then, Natasha, we saw a couple proposals this week in Montgomery County, two pieces of legislation aimed at keeping these products away from schools, right? What are we seeing in Montgomery County? A package of bills, but let's get into those a little bit. Right. So the Montgomery County Council is looking at two bills. 
bill. So the first would prohibit vape shops that um, sell e-cigarettes from opening within a half mile of a public or private middle or high school. Right. And so it would require any shops that are already existing uh, within that distance range to close within 24 months. So that's obviously designed to keep these products away from kids. Obviously, there's going to be some pushback from businesses that are operating already within the vicinity, but it seems like the council, and I think they have a ton of support in this, feels like it's absolutely essential these products are not readily available or even being advertised toward kids. Right. And so the second bill takes it to another level and also prohibits the manufacturers of the e-cigarettes from distributing them to retail stores, again, within the half mile of those middle or high schools. Right. And the Board of Health in Montgomery would be enforcing that, correct? So I think the first is a a zoning text amendment. The second is legislation. Mm -hmm. But they're both designed to to curb this youth vaping epidemic. And I've heard people ask Natasha, you know, if you're going to do this for e-cigarettes and vapes, why not do the same thing for regular cigarettes? And we have seen progress being made on tobacco in general, right? Last session, we saw a bill that dealt with this. Right, exactly. Uh, Maryland passed a bill that would raise the age for tobacco products to 21. Right. 21. And that actually goes into effect October 1st, so very soon. And so um, the state has been proactive Active on this front. I know our health officers, for years, tobacco regulation has been um, a big issue. They've been um, fighting for on a public health front to really address these concerns. So I think while these headlines right now, it's a really hot topic with the e-cigarettes and vaping, as a public health issue, it's certainly something that we've been working on a lot. And I think, too, when it comes to the question of why not do this for cigarettes, when you talk about the flavored e-cigarettes, you know, the argument is these are obviously being directed and marketed toward kids. And, you know, I'm sure if they were flavored, you know, regular cigarettes, you'd see the same thing. So maybe that's the difference in, in why that's not they're not trying to do this within a half mile for regular cigarettes. But it's just because these they feel like are just out of control and they're being marketed toward kids. Right. And I think um, over the years, when it comes to regular cigarettes, you've seen this with menthol, which probably comes the closest to having a flavored right, cigarette. Right. So. I think it's pretty safe to say, Natasha, that we will see a statewide bill introduced during the 2020 session. I mean, we can't guarantee it, but I'd say that it's pretty likely that we'll see some sort of bill that will seek to address this issue across the state. I would not be surprised. Okay. So another issue that we've been following, Natasha, is the opioid lawsuit. State and local governments have been suing these opioid manufacturers, arguing that that they have caused the opioid epidemic in these communities. And thus, local governments have, quite frankly, spent a lot of money, a lot of resources to try and come back from all of the residents that have been hit by this and their families. So we've talked a little bit about this on previous episodes. I don't want to get into to all of that minutia, but there is some new news when it comes to these opioid lawsuits, right? Right. I almost like to think of this as my health Kerwin. Yeah, th- this is. <laughs> With how frequently this comes up as a topic. Every day. Um, but yeah, so Purdue Pharma has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And, and they're one of the biggest manufacturers, right? Right. They manufacture Oxycontin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a, a, a huge deal when it comes to the opioid lawsuit 
suits. The Sackler family who own Purdue and the and Purdue Pharma have really been some of the big name targets mm-hmm. of these lawsuits. Um, I would like to make clear that there are dozens of other um, manufacturers and distributors that are also named. But again, Purdue is one of the primary um, drivers of this. Right. And they've been in the news. They're one of the the big companies here that's been in the headlines. And Natasha, 24 states and more than 2000 local governments have agreed to a settlement, which is valued at around 10 to 12 billion dollars, three billion of that guaranteed. Twenty six, though, have not agreed to the deal. So let's talk about, you know, under this bankruptcy claim, how will this affect both those states and local governments who have agreed to a settlement already and the ones who have not? Yeah. So the states and local governments that have agreed to the settlement are really looking to ending the litigation process and um, hoping to guarantee monetary resolution to this issue. So a a lot of these, essentially these lawsuits are looking for to hold the um, companies responsible and then to have them pay out in a way that helps remediate the problem. So then it could go into treatment, it could go into other programs that the states and local governments can use to address the opioid crisis that it's alleged that Purdue and others have created. Right. And as many people know, litigation can take a long time. Settlements help give some certainty to a situation. Mm-hmm. However, for the states that have not agreed, um, many of them see this settlement as one, Purdue not taking responsibility because part of the, the settlement terms is that they're not owning up to responsibility on the action. So it's maybe one of the principled positions, but also that they believe that they're undervaluing the settlement amount hmm. and that Purdue and the Sacklers owe more than what they're alleging. And I think we've seen in the news that in New York State, they found wire transfers um, for a billion or so dollars. And so they don't trust that Purdue is settling so, so, adequately. So there's this notion that these folks are just trying to skip town. They're wiring all this money into secret accounts somewhere. And they're trying to say, hey, you know what, we'll, we'll give you a little piece of the pie, but we're going to hide a bunch of money and we're going to run off and be done with this. That is the notion that some folks have. The Sackler right. family says, look, we need to file for bankruptcy. We don't have this money. So I, I don't know, you know, all of the, the details of how this is going to play out. I mean, so for, for the states and the local governments that have not settled, that are not a part of this agreement, is it true that they are still potentially pursuing action against the Sacklers themselves and not just Purdue Pharma. Yes, that's true. You have you have cases going on on multiple levels there. And the bankruptcy has to go to bankruptcy court. So you're likely to see this continue because now you have some some jurisdictions that have settled and others that have not. And that could complicate the bankruptcy process and the settlement process even more because what Purdue wants is to be done with it. So sure. the idea with them filing bankruptcy and also the Sacklers here to get some finality so that no one can pursue additional claims. And of course, as we mentioned, those states that are not agreeing to it still want to pursue their claim. Right. And so again, it's not just Purdue there, you know, so this is so many different levels. There are so many different companies, manufacturers, distributors that are involved, but this is one of the the big hitters. The bottom line here, Natasha, is we need to stay tuned. And, you know, this is going to be your Kerwin because (laughs) moving forward, I feel like there's going to be new news on this every single day. 
And adding this bankruptcy proceeding to this now just, it makes everything more difficult. It potentially draws things out even more. So bottom line is there's more news to come on this. Right. As we said, dozens of other companies are still in the courts with these same 2000 plus local governments and state. And so Purdue and the settlement is just one piece of that pie. And the Ohio judge ruled uh, recently that all local governments can take part in the litigation against, at this point, let's say the remaining (laughs) drug manufacturers and distributors. And so there's still a lot more to come on this issue. Okay, we will leave it there on that issue. Natasha, thank you so much for joining us today and explaining that complex issue and walking through the legislative initiatives. And also, I mean, you're the lead on vaping issues in public health. So thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Conduit Street Podcast. As always, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode. They'll be sent directly to you. Also, you can follow us on social media. On Twitter, search Conduit Street Podcast. And we also have a new Facebook page. Just search Conduit Street Podcast. For Natasha Mayhew, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon.